Welcome to Interfaith Encounters podcast. This is series two, looking at religious freedom. I'm your host, Robert Hunt. I want to introduce our guest, Kelly Shackelford. He is the president and chief counsel of First Liberty Institute. And Mr. Shackelford, I'll ask you to say something about First Liberty before we go to the first question. Sure. Uh, First Liberty Institute is the largest legal nonprofit in the country that all we do is religious freedom. So if you're um, Gabriela Perez and you're a five-year-old girl and you're uh, caught praying over your meal in the lunch cafeteria and told, quote, it's not good to pray at school, and you're a poor family that lives outside of uh, Orlando, uh, Florida, well, you can't actually go and hire a team of lawyers. So what do you do? Well, we bring in the best litigators in the country who donate their time so that when we win the case for Gabriella, we don't just win for Gabriella. We set a precedent that protects all of our children and our grandchildren. So that's kind of the quick summary of, of what we do at First Liberty Institute. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. So let me just jump in with the first question. Um, as you work at First Liberty, what is your understanding of religious freedom? Well, it's, uh, you know, that's a big question, right? Uh, you could talk for hours uh, on religious freedom. I think it goes back to even our founders were uh, about to have freedom of conscience um, in, in the uh, Constitution and changed at the last second to, to freedom of religion and free exercise in this case. And really, it's about um, the ultimate issues of life. If people can't have their own uh, freedom, not just to think, but to exercise their faith. That's why it's the free exercise clause uh, about the ultimate issues of life. I mean, how did you get here? Uh, where do you go after you die? Um, how should you live your life now? Are you accountable to someone greater than yourself? Uh, those, those, are, those are the biggest things uh, to think about, to, uh, to believe, to discuss. And if you don't have freedom there, you won't have freedom really anywhere and, and that's why our founders referred to it as our first freedom. So we think that religious freedom is actually a lot bigger uh, issue than most people know. Uh, it's, it's a big, big issue, even for people who aren't religious at all, and they don't understand that. Most, most people don't. But uh, what's interesting is, is the people I talk to from other countries who come, a lot of times I'll speak and I'll have people come up to me and they'll say, I'm from, and you can just fill in the country, uh, and they say, I, I'm not a religious person, but I saw this happen in my country. They took away religious freedom. They, they took their religious symbols down and within and put up secular symbols. And within months, I lost my political freedoms. And, uh, and you know, literally, they, I've had numbers of them hand me a check and say, I'm going to be supporting your nonprofit because I think this is the most important thing in our country for freedom in general, even though they weren't people of faith at all. So, Religious freedom is a lot bigger issue. It's, it's not just a big issue to people of faith, and it is very important to people of faith. But I think it's important to anybody who cares about freedom, period, because it's the ultimate freedom. It's freedom of conscience. Okay, great. That's really helpful. And you've given us uh, an introduction to the maybe bigger question, which is why is this uh, and how is this relevant in our society today? Um, and I, you probably have some examples you can give along with this from the things that your institute has litigated. Yeah, it's, um, I think for people of faith, it's immediately understandable that it's important because they would say, well, gosh, if you can't think about and talk about, uh, you know, uh, the ultimate issues of life and, and 
you know, the need for redemption, um, you know, the, the idea, how can people's lives be redeemed if there's no ability to freedom of religion? How can our country have hope for the future if people's lives can't be changed in a positive way through faith and through, uh, um, you know, uh, their relationship with God? So people of faith usually get that portion immediately. But there's a whole nother level to this that is, I think, most of the time missed. And I, and I think we need to do a better job of educating, especially uh, through our schools our high schools or colleges uh, so that every citizen understands. But, you know, if you don't have religious freedom, even if you're not a person of faith, what will happen is all your freedoms will, will be gone and incredible evil comes. And we see that in other countries, places which don't have religious freedom. And people try to understand, they might not understand this at first level, but the best way I can describe it to somebody is, uh, the one thing that a totalitarian regime will never allow are citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever that type of an oppressive regime comes into play, the first flashpoint will almost always be religious freedom. And these people that won't bow their knee to the government, if they lose, everybody will lose. Not just their religious freedoms, but their political freedoms and, and all their freedoms. And so I think the founders were very wise uh, that not, this was not only one of the main reasons they, they founded this country, but it's why they put this as the first two clauses of the First Amendment. It's why they talked about this being the first freedom. They really had a deep understanding of how central religious freedom is to having freedom at all. And so it's sort of a almost like a warning light on the dashboard of your car or, or something that if you see something going wrong here, it's a danger to all your freedoms. And uh, it's something that everybody needs to pay attention to. And I hope we get to the point where people, doesn't matter what their faith is or if they have no faith at all, as far as a religious faith, um, that they all would agree that this is a very important freedom for us to have uh, for everybody's own selfish interests of wanting ha to have their own freedom. Mm -hmm. Thanks, that's, that's really helpful. And I wanna just pick up on a couple of ideas here. Um, one is uh, that this relationship between freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. And I wonder if you can say a little bit more about the relationship between these and, and why they are closely intertwined in our Constitution. Well, it's, it's really, um, I mean, almost for us in this country, it, it flows into free speech as well. It's the ability of, uh, you know, if you can't speak it and say it, uh, you really... Um, you know, you've lost freedom as a country. But conscience, the whole idea is that you can disagree with everybody and still have the ability to hold to your own belief. Right. Um, this, is, this is the key. I mean, you think of all the, the, the religious sects in the United States, uh, you know, uh, whether it's the Quakers uh, or the Baptists or, or otherwise who were minorities. Um, and they came to this country in part because they wanted to be able to hold to their own beliefs, even if they were different, uh, and the government would still allow them to live in peace. Uh, the government wouldn't come in and say, no, 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 we're not going to allow you to hold those beliefs. And mm -hmm. the most important thing is to be in a place where you're really free, where you can believe what you believe, where you can, where you can do what you think is right uh, and, and hold to those beliefs, even if they're not the majority of society's belief and have freedom. And that's the ultimate test, right? I mean, uh, it's not about whether the majority are protected. Uh, it's about whether people that hold 
different beliefs are allowed to, to have that conscience and allowed to be different. And we see it playing out in different ways today, uh, ways that are very controversial at times. I mean, for instance, what about the, the situations uh, with uh, wedding uh, bakers or, you know, who have their beliefs or are they allowed to hold those versus the, the you know, the anti-discrimination laws that are being used. Uh, mm -hmm. So there are different ways, but there's still, these, there are these people that have these beliefs that are maybe not in the majority can they have those? Uh, and we went a little further than that in the United States. We said it was the free exercise of religion. So it's not the free belief clause, it's the free exercise clause. So people have a right actually to exercise that. And that's a further step that I think is really important and just shows that in this country, we're really going the extra mile to really protect the individual who has different beliefs and is gonna live those beliefs differently than their neighbors might. Yes, I'll just um, jump in here and say that uh, having myself live in, lived as a religious minority in several different countries, um, that this move from freedom of conscience, which is essentially, I can have inside my head what I wanna have inside my head, does move to a broader sphere when you talk about exercise. And I think the words you used earlier in the interview were to be able to speak and act. That's as right. opposed to just think freely. Um, yes. If I can move a step beyond uh, on a second thing here, uh, you talked about the relationship between this freedom of conscience and freedom of exercise, or freedom to exercise religion, with a relationship between the maintenance of a democracy and of political freedom to the ability to hold a higher allegiance. Um, to use your words. And I wonder if you could say a little bit more about how these things are related as you understand them in our, uh, in our U.S. Constitution and law. Yeah, one of the things that's very unusual about the United States is we actually try to accommodate people who have different beliefs than others. Um, there are so many statutes that we have. We actually have done a law review article just listing the multitudes and multitudes of exemptions and and protections in our federal laws uh, that that we've had since the beginning uh, of the federal government about how people even if they have different beliefs that and even if the normal rules would require them to maybe violate those beliefs we don't require we want to avoid that we want to do everything in our power to avoid having anyone forced uh, to either violate their conscience and their beliefs mm -hmm. or be punished. So I could give a lot of examples. Probably one of the most well-known mm -hmm. is in our employment laws. Um, we have federal laws that say you cannot discriminate against people on the basis of their religion. And I think most people would go, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. But what a lot of people don't know is they actually go further than that. There's a second part of that federal law. And it says, in, in fact, employers have to affirmatively accommodate the religious beliefs of their employees if they can do so without harming their business. And so that's a, a, an extra step, which I think is it's just so emblematic of our country. And there, this is one of many laws like this, but I think it's a good example. So for instance, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, you know, uh, or, or even Orthodox Jews mm -hmm. have a different Sabbath. You know, their Sabbath is sundown Friday night to, to sundown Saturday night. And uh, many times there have been situations where somebody said, well, we're going to schedule to work then. And they've said, well, I can't. This is my Sabbath. I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. 
the way the courts have worked is if you can rearrange schedules so that you don't have to force them to do that, that's a requirement to do so. Uh, and so there have been many cases on different issues, but they all go on this issue of, can you accommodate this religious person's beliefs? We know they might be different in their beliefs than other people, but if you can accommodate them, then we want that to be uh, what the law really pushes towards or, or uh, advocates for because we're doing everything in our power to avoid having government or even employers force people to violate their faith and conscience or be punished. Uh, we, we so value religious freedom and freedom of conscience that we want to go the extra mile to protect that. And I think that's, that's just one of the great things about this country. Yeah. And while I've got uh, someone who's spent a good deal of time on constitutional law, the, in the First Amendment, there's a, there's a flip side to the free exercise of religion, which is that the government will not seek to establish a religion. I wonder if you can say a little more about the importance of that and how that plays a role in protecting religious freedom. Yeah, the uh, the some people try to read the religion clauses sometimes as like they're I don't know in conflict with each other and yeah. they're not. The founders wrote them both to protect religious freedom, to protect the free exercise of religion. What they had experienced in England uh, and really in other places in Europe is an established church, a national established church. When that happens, uh, then the government tends to establish that church and disfavor you if you go to another church. And that then immediately begins to pull back on your right to free exercise, your right to freedom of conscience and religion. And so that was the purpose of the establishment clause. Uh, we didn't want there to be an established national church um, and, and to begin to you know, force people to support that church, that denomination, that sect over others. Um, I think we're in the middle of a, a very interesting time uh, right now. We've had uh, many years of trying to figure out exactly what that meant and a lot of decisions kind of going back and forth, uh, you know, uh, really after the Lemon uh, case in, in the, you know, 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. But Lemon has been really, I mean, and there would be argument about this. Many people think Lemon is now dead. Some people say it's certainly has a, a pretty a pretty serious blow with the uh, Bladensburg uh, Cross, the American Legion decision that was handed down just a year and a half ago, which said we're really not taking that approach uh, when it comes to religious displays or symbols or history in our country that's been with us. Those things are not, you know, they're they're presumptively constitutional, which was an opposite approach than what Lemon is doing. So we're really in a in a time right now where we're reevaluating, I think, the Establishment Clause. And, uh, and I think that we're going to see a lot of cases in the upcoming 10, 20 years that began to sort of uh, tease this out a little bit and figure out what we really believe, because I think it's, uh, it's having a change in direction right now and a going back uh, to sort of the words of the Constitution and what we think the founders really meant. And so I think it's an exciting time if you're in the religious freedom arena and you're a person that looks at the free exercise. I think the same thing, by the way, is going to happen on free exercise. Uh, yeah. There's some, the Smith case I think is going to be reconsidered. I think there's a lot of things happening there too, but establishment clause, especially we kind of had an approach that we were following that wasn't exactly leading to a lot of clarity. And I think that is now being set aside and a new approach, which 
I, I think and, and, and even hope will go back to what the founders were trying to do, which is I didn't, the founders weren't trying to sort of push religion from the public sphere or, or say that government couldn't be pro-religion in, in a general sort of way. Uh, they actually clearly had no problem with that. Um, they just didn't want the government to sort of establish one religion over another. And, uh, and I think uh, if it was, we go in that direction, I think that'll be good because a lot of people are even scared to have religion in public, they feel like there might be something wrong. And I don't think the founders would ever think there was anything wrong with that. Uh, they just didn't want the government to put its power behind one religion over another, which uh, is something I think we should all uh, be against. So if, um, so if I can uh, try to summarize your, your last comments for those who are not familiar with the Lemon case or the Baird case, um, this is really about whether religious symbols can appear in the public sphere. And, um, you're telling me that uh, there's been a shift from a move that really was going to move religious symbols out of the public sphere entirely to one in which the the public sphere is understood as a place where multiple religious symbols can be active. Um, it's a, instead of an emptying of the public sphere of religion, it is a making a room for all types of religion to be there. Is that basically it? Yes. Uh, and non-religion, obviously. And non-religion as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, What's, what's happened is, um, to, well, take, the, take the Ten Commandments case in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, the Van Orden case. You had a, a, a big monument, a Ten Commandments, right there on the, on the lawn of the Capitol, right, right outside the Capitol. And, and people would look at that and say, wait, isn't this the government establishing religion by having a religious monument here of the Ten Commandments? And I think what the court, you know, had fallen into for a while is allowing the focus to be only on that one monument. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at the whole field around the Capitol, where you'd find plenty of secular monuments too, and you'd find some religious monuments. And I think that, so I, I, I'm in favor, obviously, some would disagree. They, they like the approach of we shouldn't have any religious monuments. I think, you know, we're a country with religious and secular history, with religious and secular aspects. We should expect to find religious and secular monuments and and, and symbols and things around our country. There's nothing wrong with that. I think if we sort of cleanse the field of religion, now we're creating a government that's, that's hostile to religion, which is not what the founders intended. So I, I think this approach that, that they've put in place in the American Legion case um, is a good approach because it kind of goes back and says, look, if, if these are things, symbols, uh, practices that have been with us for hundreds of years, uh, another example is, by the way, is the prayer to open up uh, our legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, they say these things are presumptively constitutional. Unless you bring forward something that says something has changed, something makes this, well, the government's really putting its thumb on the scale uh, and really squelching religious freedom in some way, uh, they're, they're going to presumptively, you know, not allow everything to be attacked. In God we trust on the, on the coins, all these things. I think these lawsuits are are now being pushed aside somewhat and saying that these are not lawsuits that are going to be successful. And so it, it, it is a change from kind of what we've been doing for the last five decades. And uh, we'll, we're going to have to see how it works out. Uh, I think it will not only be in the symbols area. I think you're going to see this in other areas because lemon, that test was used not just in a public display area. It was also used in other areas uh, of society and, we're, I'm sure all of that'll be analyzed as well as what the proper role of the establishment clause is in all of these different areas where we've uh, had cases in the past. 
Well, it does sound like these are exciting times, um, and I know you all are very deeply involved in it at First Liberty. I want to express my appreciation for your agreement to be part of this podcast. Uh, again, uh, Kelly, thank you very much. Look forward to the uh, DFW Alliance for Religious Freedom conference coming up in late October. Thank you. Appreciate oh, it. Thank you for having me. This has been an episode of Interfaith Encounters, Consequential Conversations with Leaders of Different Faith Traditions. I'm Robert Hunt, inviting you to join us for new episodes each Tuesday.